In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Michael Bloom. And today we have a very exciting and enraging episode <laughs> to talk about. I am I am so ready to scream into a microphone right now. Uh, we're going to be talking about the infrastructure bill, which has been cut down. Big and surprise. cut down and cut down. Uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about the supply shortage in the United States. And then we're going to end the pod by talking about paid family leave from a little bit of a uh, philosophical perspective. So we'll, 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 we'll explain what we mean by that when we get to it, but I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. yeah. This episode is going to be, well, enraging, but not surprising, right? Cause yeah. um, one, it's not surprising that we're talking about infrastructure considering those dollars are literally the entire democratic agenda yeah. And uh, two, that, you know, that we've lost ground on that front. Also not a surprise. Because, yeah. of course, we have. Yeah. Uh, but you know what we have also, you know what we have not lost ground on? What? What? The COVID numbers. Ah, uh, yes. Another unsurprising thing. Um, yeah. So at this point, worldwide, we've hit 246 million total cases, which is up from 243 million last week. So that's 3 million new cases in a week, or about 430,000 new cases per day, which is pretty much where we've been for like the past few weeks. Um, so no real progress on that front. Um, at this point, we've hit 4.99 million deaths, which is up from 4.95 million last week. So that's about 40,000 new deaths in a week or about 5,700 deaths per day, uh, which is actually a bit of an improvement um, from a couple of weeks ago. Um, in the world so far, we've hit a vaccination rate with at least one dose of 50.2%, um, which is like, that's a milestone, right? Getting Getting at or above half of the world with at least one dose of vaccination is a good, you know, a good milestone. Obviously, like, not the place where you want to end up. So so uh, <laughs> keep, you know, pressuring people to spread the vaccine. Um, in the U.S. Spread it like a virus. There we go. If only <laughs> we could get... I feel like that would be, a like, the plot of, like, like, a James Bond movie or something. Like, you, like, make a vaccine that spreads like a virus, and then, like, you're trying to get it to people, and... The, you know, big drug companies are trying to stop you, all that Ooh, stuff. And, uh, and it would be starring Dr. Fauci as M. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so far in the U.S., we've hit 46.7 million cases, which is up from 46.2 million a week ago. So that's about 500,000 new cases in a week or 71,000 new cases per day. Um, so far, we've hit 763,000 deaths which is up from 755,000 a week ago. So that's 8,000 new deaths in a week or about 1,100 deaths per day. Um, so about two weeks ago, it was about 1,700 deaths per day. So we've had a, a moderate improvement on that front. Um, but I, I'd say like not huge and not really enough to say that we're on like 
a much better path. Um, and so far, 58% of the U.S. population has been fully vaccinated, with 66% having at least one dose. Um, so getting up there. And people have started to get booster shots, which is, like, I think yeah. a pretty exciting thing. I'm actually scheduled to get mine tomorrow. Really? I need to yeah. look into, like, how to get that. I, I have no idea. Well, <laughs> well I, I qualify because I'm a teacher. Yeah, I figured it was there was a qualification thing because I know someone who's yeah. who like works in um, works in the House of Representatives and she she qualified. So yeah, yeah, sweet. So things are happening. Yeah, um, not not a like lot I said, happening. <laughs> it doesn't sound like we're losing ground, as I said. Yeah, uh, I hear I hear deaths have also have been down quite a bit in the last month, actually. So that's yep. that's good. Yep. You know what else is down, Michael? Uh, the infrastructure budget. Yeah, the, <laughs> specifically the dollar amount uh-huh. for the what's been proposed in the infrastructure budget. Boom mm-hmm. transition. Well done, really nice. I am I am so good at transitions. Yeah, especially I don't know if you've numbers. noticed this. Yeah, yeah, really good. Especially you're really good at just like kind of letting them flow and not calling too much attention to them. Yeah, very cool. So. Michael and I have talked about the infrastructure bill on several occasions. Now, yeah. one of the things that I think that we've kind of focused on in terms of the negotiation is that for us, the final dollar amount is less important um, than what ends up being included in it. So Joe Biden has recently unveiled a framework for the, uh, the human infrastructure package, the Build Back Better plan. Now, remember, the original proposal was $3.5 trillion. And I'd also like to point out two important points. Number one, that was a compromise. Mm-hmm. All right. Because Bernie Sanders, the budget chairman of the, 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 the chairman of the budget committee in the Senate, he wanted six. Mm-hmm. 3.5 was a compromise. The other thing I want to point out about it is that. People often don't mention the fact that the the infrastructure package is spread out over 10 years. Yeah. Which I think is kind of a failure, both in marketing on the Democrats' part and also kind of in context on the part of the media. Mm-hmm. Because what that means is that we're talking about $350 billion a year. Yeah. That is half of the military budget. Yeah. Which, by the way, Republicans and especially, you know, and Democrats and especially Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin regularly vote to increase the military budget. Yeah. So why don't we ever talk about the fact that after 10 years, the military budget, if we talked about it the same way that we talked about the budget reconciliation bill, is $7 trillion. Mm-hmm. Why don't we talk about that? Like, I think that's that's a failure on the part of messaging. Yeah, I think that's totally right. So, so that's one point that I'd like to make. So Biden released a framework, which is $1.85 trillion. So half of the other proposal, which again was a compromise. Mm-hmm. So this is a compromise of the compromise. So... Let's talk about some of the things that were removed from the bill. So the first thing that was removed from the bill, which made me want to fucking scream, was 
negotiating pharmaceutical prices. <laughs> and know. you know why it was removed? Kirsten because of Cinema. Kirsten fucking Cinema. <laughs> yep. All right? This motherfucker received a ton of money like days before coming out against this bill. A, a bunch of money in campaign contributions from pharmaceutical companies. And then she came out against renegotiating pharmaceutical prices, like the federal government being able to renegotiate pharmaceutical prices. Yeah. All right. Which is literally a bipartisan issue. Like that's something yeah. that Trump It's an pushed. issue that that's she ran like, on. Yeah, it's yeah, that's a good point. It's an <laughs> issue that she fucking ran on when she when she ran in Arizona. So 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 when people talk about flip-flopping, like on this show, we are fans of people changing their minds in response to new information. When that new yeah. information is a check from the pharmaceutical industry, that doesn't count. That's flip flopping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a philosophical awakening. That's yeah. you know. So so and I would also like to point out that if that does end up staying out of the final version, mm-hmm. people will die because of Kirsten Cinema. Yeah. Because Kirsten Cinema is a fucking selfish piece of shit. A corrupt, selfish, greedy piece of shit. All right. People are going to die because of her. I just want to make that perfectly clear. Yeah. This isn't an ideological disagreement. It is her being a corrupt piece of shit. All right. Another thing that was taken out, tuition-free community college. Mm-hmm. An issue that Biden ran on. And now Biden's An like, no, Biden no, we really on. need to pass this bill. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that it's, you know, I, I'm pissed off at Biden because he's, he's capitulating, but I yeah. do believe that he wanted that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I'm still pissed at him, but I don't think I don't that think it's he, corruption. I don't think... You know, at least not in this specific case. Yeah. Like, there's def- he, he didn't get paid off some by ways, big but, community you know. college. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so that that really pisses me off. Yeah, because I've talked about on the show before. I was a community college teacher. Yeah, and one of the things that I noticed as a community college teacher was that a lot of my students were of lower socioeconomic backgrounds. And they had to work full-time or part-time jobs alongside their time in community college in order to be able to afford it because that was, that was just their background. And I regularly had students who had to straight up not do assignments or miss assignments or miss classes because they had to work because they had to work in order to pay off the community college that then they were struggling in because they had to work so much. Yeah. So... Community college would mean so much to so many people, and yet they took that out of the bill because Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin are corrupt pieces of shit. Yeah, that drives me nuts. Like, as someone who went to community college, like, yeah. I was sitting next to those students that you're talking about. I was lucky enough not to be in that situation because I was, you know, doing it at an unconventional time and I didn't need to pay my own bills. Um, but, like, you know, I remember that this one time I had this realization. I was like, this, like... Like, I thought I was so smart because I got great grades. And then I realized that I wasn't that smart. I just didn't have to also yeah. have a job. Yeah, And, absolutely. like, it, it, was, it wasn't that people were, like, not doing the work because they were lazy. It was doing – they were not doing the work because they had to find time to sleep between, like, doing their jobs and taking care of their kids. And so, like, paying those, like, for their community college would be a huge benefit to them. And also just for us – 
like education is an investment that pays back, right? Like it's not like you're flushing money down the toilet. You are literally taking people and enabling them to contribute more to the economy. We have public education for a reason. Why not extend that just for a couple of extra years for people that are, you know, for post high school? Like as we continue to develop our economy and our economy becomes more sophisticated, we have to meet the demands that our economy is putting on the education of our citizenry. Yeah. And honestly, I view the community college thing as a compromise. Yeah. For up to me, we'd have tuition-free four-year universities as well, as well as community college. Just having community college, that's the fucking compromise, and he couldn't even do that. Yeah. All right? Jesus Christ. And then another thing that was taken out, or at least was altered... The child tax credit. Mm-hmm. Originally, the original bill called for it to be permanent, but of course Joe Manchin didn't want that because I guess fuck children. But it got extended to one year instead of being permanent. Yeah. Like, so there are some extremely important provisions that were taken out. Yeah. And, and I mean, paid family leave, like which we'll talk paid about. Paid family leave. You know, yeah. more at the like the end of the the show we'll talk about like that and the income tax credit for kids and and that kind of stuff. But like paid family leave was taken out of this bill. It was originally supposed to be 12 weeks. It was negotiated down to four and now it's squat. The U S is one of only eight countries in the world without a national paid maternity leave. Eight on average countries provide 29 weeks of paid maternity leave in this country. You get pregnant you're on you're on your own. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Like you might have employment protection but you're sure. not going to get paid. Yeah, yeah, you won't get fired for being pre- pregnant. Yeah, that's a pretty uh pretty fucking yeah. low bar. And I just like to point out in Congress, they have paid family leave. Mhm. The assholes that are making the decision to keep the American people from paid family leave, they have paid family leave unforgivable unforgivable so let's talk about what is in the bill all right i guess let's be positive for a second (laughs) so one thing that is in the bill and so one of the things i was really concerned about that they might take out would be the stuff on climate change because you know joe manchin is like a complete hack when it comes to the fossil fuel industry yeah and he actually has investments in it which apparently we allow that because that makes sense. Um, There's actually uh, $555 billion in climate change provisions, which is a pretty big chunk of the bill, which by the way, we can probably, you know, give partial credit to AOC for the fact that that stayed in the final version of the bill. Cause she, she's one of the people that straight up said, look, if the final version of the bill does not include climate provisions, no deal. Yeah. So fairly big chunk of the bill still contributes to climate change. That's a good thing. Objectively, that is a good thing. Yeah. Um, another thing that it does still include, universal pre-K mm-hmm. for all uh, three-year-olds and four-year-olds. That is, that's revolutionary. Yeah. I mean. It's huge. Seems pretty fucking basic. Huge. 
I thought that it's was free basic. already <laughs> until <Nope. laughs> until I started this, like reading about this. Not, not this version of the bill, but the earlier version of the bill. I was like, wait a second, we don't give nope. people. Nope. No, we don't. Kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, also, it, the provision does include one hundred and thirty billion dollars to reduce health care premiums for people covered under the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, which is that is also huge. big. Yeah, absolutely. and also expand Medicaid coverage. Yeah. You know, yep. both of which are for, for an additional 4 million people, both of which are, are very big. Yeah. Or both of which are huge. Um, it, it also provides some subsidization for childcare. Um, so it caps what some parents will pay at 7% of their income. Um, yeah. So that'll be funded for another six years under this, which is a, you know, that's, that's pretty huge. Like childcare is really expensive. So, yeah. Um, there's also a uh, $35 billion investment in hearing aid benefits for seniors covered by Medicare. So they expanded it to hearing, yay, but they took out vision and dental. Boo. What? Yeah. That blows my mind. Yeah. Well, first off, Medicare does not cover vision and dental. And the proposal, uh, one of the proposals was for it to mm -hmm. cover vision and dental. And uh, that didn't make it into the framework from Joe Biden. That's crazy. Yeah. Dent it like is. dental care is so expensive and can literally kill you. Yeah. Like your your teeth are integral to your health. Yeah. yeah. Being able to see important for your health. <laughs> that's that's yeah. like that blows my mind. Jesus. Yeah. Uh it also includes another um hundred and fifty billion dollars to go towards uh easing a backlog for in-home care mm. for seniors uh, as well as as well as disabled people. Uh, USA Today did a really good breakdown of this. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm reading off of. Um there was also a, another uh, 150 billion dollars to build 1 million affordable housing units. Mm. So that that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's great. And in a lot of ways, it there are aspects of this that are revolutionary. Yeah. One of them, one of the things, which actually this 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 part made me smile. So remember how we talked about the idea of a corporate minimum tax, mm -hmm. and how we talked about how it did it did actually pass a vote an international vote, but it would have to pass the United States Congress. Yeah. They threw that in this. That's awesome. So. Um, it does outline a plan to implement a 15% corporate minimum tax rate. Yeah, that's great. Specifically is, on corporations that report more than a billion dollars in profit. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, like that's huge. That's really big. It also and, uh, is putting a surtax on the top 0.02% of wealthiest Americans and, and yep. a 5% uh, tax on income over $10 million and an additional 3% on income over $25 million um, with a, and also adding a 1% surcharge for corporate stock buybacks, which yeah. is huge. Cause that's one way that, um, you know, people are basically able to get a dividend from their stocks without actually, yeah. you know, having to receive a dividend. And this one was something that I think a lot of people didn't realize got worse under Trump, but really did. Hmm. So the IRS under Trump, was heavily gutted. Yeah. Now, most people probably think of the IRS and think, fuck them, you know. And that's, that's Screw fair. you, tax man. You know, screw yeah. the IRS. But here's the thing. When the IRS is not fully funded, 
what's going to happen is that they're going to spend more time like they're going to actually spend more time going after like the smaller people, the, the, the people with less money, the people that don't have the money to fight back mm. than they are to go against the people that are, that are wealthier. Because, you know, when you go against people that are wealthy, you might have to, you might have to deal with legal fees. You're going to have to expand more resources. Yeah. So they just did not have the resources in order to do that, which basically made it easier for uh, billionaires to, to cheat the system. So one of the things that this bill does is it actually expands, it expands funding for the IRS, which interestingly enough is actually one of the ways in which they are going to pay for the bill. Yeah. Because you're mm. going to be getting significantly more money on enforcement to prevent tax evasion among billionaires than the money that you're going to be putting towards the IRS. Yeah. The only reason why a person like Donald Trump would defund the IRS is to make sure that rich people can pay less. Yeah. And I think that is like a perfect illustration of what most of the provisions in this bill are for. Like, it, it's kind of bothering me that everybody's referring to this bill as a spending bill. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong. It spends money. But it does. truly, this is a investment bill. It's about, you know, like the infrastructure bill is about investing in physical infrastructure, which if we don't invest in it, you know, will be a problem. And if we do invest in it, it will make us more money. That's what an investment is. It's money that you expend in order to get more money in return. That's exactly what all of these provisions do. They are money spent now to make not only life, but our economy better which benefits all of us and will literally pay back the government more money later. Yeah. When you put $1 into the IRS and you get $1.50 back, you've made money. You've not yeah. spent money. Yeah. So like like to me like that's another huge messaging miss on all of this in general. Is like it's an investment. Yeah. You hear, you know, you hear people refer to like, oh, there's an investment in the American people, but like tell me how and it and it and it but it truly is and there's the the research is out there to back it up so yeah. um yeah like to me like and and to your point like yeah this stuff is revolutionary the other bill would have been twice as revolutionary yeah literally twice <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i mean literally twice so i guess here's the big here's the million dollar question michael deal or no deal <laughs> yeah, to uh to quote mansion it's in the, it's all in the hands of the house because <laughs> i've been going back and forth on this all day yeah because on one hand i just there are so many concessions yeah and you know like the, the i still cannot get over the whole renegotiating pharmaceutical prices yeah I, I I can't get over that. That is just such an example of blatant corruption. Um and just just the 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 how much capitulation we always do to these corporate hacks just pisses me off and I hate the fact that every time we have to go along with it. So my first reaction was, fuck no, sink the bill, sink it all. Yeah. 
My second reaction was, we really can't delay that funding to fight against climate change. Mm. My third reaction was, never mind, fuck them, sink the bill. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm just kind of at a point where I would... Or I, I would say, I think that they should hold out for a little bit. Like, I think that, I think that progressive Democrats should hold out for a little bit and try to get more. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think I'm at a point where if I were in Congress, I might vote against it just as a protest vote. Mm. But if progressive legislators decide to vote for this yeah i'm not necessarily gonna hold it against them or call them a traitor yeah because again we just we cannot delay the money on climate change and at least that was kept in there yeah like that was the big thing for me that was the that would have been the deal breaker for me the automatic deal breaker yeah so i think that there are going to be some people on the left that are going to say like I wanted this specific number. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, you know, I, I often, I, I, I watch Kyle Kalinske sometimes, and his his point, his his hard number is if it's below two trillion, then no deal. Hmm. I don't necessarily think that's the best way of looking at it, though. As as Michael has said before, I think the best way to to look at it is what are the provisions. And I think that if a person did come to the conclusion that okay, you, you took out the renegotiating of pharmaceutical prices, you took out the paid family leave, you took out the tuition-free community college, no deal. I respect that. But I think I would also respect a progressive lawmaker that wants action done on climate change who just decides, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I'd say it's too early for the progressives in the house to commit. Yeah, to don't commit it. yet. Because Definitely don't commit yet. One to your point like there may still be some holding out that they could do to get more stuff. Two, Mansion and Cinema have not yet committed to supporting this. They've yes. still had like they're still talking about this like there's a bunch of stuff on the table to negotiate, which means that we need to keep chips on the table to negotiate, right? Like, yeah. like things can't fall off because the more that falls off, the more they're going to try to grab. And so like, I think, I think what we, what we should do is kind of continue to hold our position, continue to push for yeah. stuff until we can get cinema and mansion to say, yeah, we'll support it. Yeah. And then I think we should pull the trigger as fast as fucking possible. Like yeah. no time for other th- people to get in the way. I think I think like we're not going to gain a lot of ground at, at this point. Like there, we're not getting yeah. to two. We're not going to get back up to two trillion or three trillion or anywhere like that. Like at this yeah. point, like it, before people were saying, well, it's got to be you know we got to slash the numbers. Or we're not going to get anything. And I'd be willing to not get anything if that meant that like you know. If that, if that meant there was going to be something down the road to ben, like that would benefit us. And I think this is kind of where that is. Like, I think playing yeah. hardball earlier was the right move. We should sh- continue to push until we can, like, get something nailed down. And then I think we should pull the trigger. Also, from a purely political standpoint, if if none of these bills get passed, 
Democrats can kiss their majority goodbye. Absolutely. Like it's yeah. it's over. It's yep. done. If they can get something passed, and in this case, it would actually be something that would still have a significant impact mm. on people's lives, especially like the universal pre-K, that's going to be massive for a lot of people. Yeah. That might actually be enough to get them to keep their majority. I mean, it would have almost certainly been enough if they had passed the original bill. Yeah. It's, I think it's really, it's probably a 50, 50 shot with this bill, but at least it's a shot. But the one thing that we do have more of a shot of doing is the seats in the Senate that are going to be up for reelection actually favor the Democrats a little bit more in the, in the, in the 2022 hmm. election than in previous elections. Um, I'm sure at one point we will do a, we will do a segment in which we break down those Senate races, but based on looking at it right now, the States that are up for grabs, the Democrats do have the potential to potentially to, 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 to expand their majority hmm. in the Senate. And if they can do that to the point where Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema just become irrelevant, well, then maybe they can pass this yeah. later. But if we don't pass things right now, we're probably not going to get anything. And I think that there are some on the left that might say, yeah, that's the strategy. It's the long game. Mm -hmm. Blow everything up right now so that next time they don't fuck with us. Well, when is that next time going to be? Yeah, it's not going to be last 2022. Time, it's not going to be 2022. And the Democrats haven't had a majority in the presidency, the House, and the Senate since 2008. Yeah. Like, that's more than 10 years ago. Mm. So I don't know when we're going to get another chance. So like I said, if I were in Congress, I might do a protest vote against it. Mm -hmm. But... I'm not going to blame progressives for voting for this. Like, I'm not going to be pissed off at progressives for voting for this. Now, they shouldn't commit to anything until Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin have committed to have, have committed to it, which is actually a point that Bernie Sanders recently made. But if this does ultimately end up being the bill, I'm not going to fault progressives for supporting it. And now it's time for a more lighthearted segment. Tips for good. So, Nathan, why do we do tips for good every week? Well, Michael, we do tips for good every week because that guy's an asshole. That hmm. girl's a bitch. Hmm. Baby, it's natural. Mm -hmm. No getting away from it. So sing it out with me mm -hmm. and then let it go. Fuck that guy. He's just an asshole. Oh, wow. That's yeah. really interesting. That was a very dark approach to... to Tips for good, I think. Yeah. Which is kind of, it might be on brand for this particular tip for good. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. Although I was, I was taught, I was, I was more talking about Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. But, ah, you know. Gotcha. 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 But what are we supposed to be doing again? Might I present an alternative hypothesis is that maybe okay. we should be trying to make the world a little bit of a better place. Oh, damn. That's a great idea, dude. Well, you know, because like if the show. world was a better place yeah. and we're living in the world, then we'd be living in a better place, in a better place. Exactly. That's just it's math right an there. Investment. It's an investment. There exactly. you go. Yeah, there you go. So, Nathan, what is our tip for good this week? Well, Michael, our tip for good this week is. You don't have to deify war criminals just because they're dead. Now, hmm. now, most my of you, reaction would be. 
who is doing this? <laughs> who is lionizing these people to begin with? Literally everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I want to be very careful with this segment because I don't want to say anything too harsh. So as many of you have probably already figured out, we're going to talk about Colin Powell for just a second. So Colin Powell, who is the Secretary of State under George W. Bush, recently passed away. Uh, he died of, um, of COVID, and uh, there was also some complications with cancer. So even though he was vaccinated, he, he died because of the, uh, the comorbidity condition. And he recently died. Yeah. yeah. Now, towards the end of his life, he basically left the Republican Party, and he was very outspoken against Donald Trump. Now, I respect that. You know, I think that it's okay to, to accept an allyship. You know, it's, it's okay to ally yourself with people on specific issues that you happen to agree. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. The enemy of my enemy is my friend in some cases. But here's the thing about Colin Powell. He was secretary of state of the administration that lied us into the Iraq war. He very famously... Uh, held up a, a vial at the United Nations to that he that he claimed was evidence of weapons of mass destruction, and he was lying. Now I've heard some I, I've 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 heard some people tell me that he he didn't know that they actually lied to him. Honestly, I don't believe that. And even if I did, as soon as it was clear, if you really were. If you really were a moral individual and you were part of an administration that was that was committing a war crime, you would immediately blow the whistle on it, mm. and he didn't. Yeah. All right? He was Secretary of State. He was complicit in one of the biggest war crimes in American history. Yeah. And I don't think that we should necessarily be—I don't think it's okay to celebrate death. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's okay. I think that it's okay to to allow his family to mourn him, of mm-hmm. course. You know, we leave his family alone, let them mourn him, you know, let them like let them eulogize and, you know, and reminisce and and all of that. You know. But the media does not have to pretend that he was better than he was. All right. There are some massive mistakes that he made in his life that were unforgivable. Yeah. That cost the and, lives of many others. And cost the lives of of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And maybe he regretted it later in life. But hey, you know, go to the go to the graves of hundreds of thousands of Iraqi civilians and, and ask the headstones if your regret means anything to them. Mm-hmm. You'll get your answer. So that's tips for good. Okay, so for our next segment, we want to talk about the supply chain, which, you know, some of you may think, maybe that's not the sexiest topic, but... I think think supplies is very sexy, or are very sexy, is very sexy. Yeah, supply is, supplies are, supply chain is... In fact, I demand it. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, so... Let's talk about what we're talking about. Um, so we're talking about the supply chain issue because it's a big fucking issue. And yeah. and one of the reasons this, that it's gotten onto our radar is um, because 
people on the right are using this as a way to try to score points against the Democrats and to claim that this is a problem with the Democratic agenda. So we wanted to figure out if that was true or not. Um, so, so as background, we've got this supply chain back, back up, backlog, right? Where there's, there's much more demand in the economy for goods than there is current available supply for purchasing them. Um, and as a result, like we're seeing like shit is hitting the fan, right? Like we were kind of expecting some inflation, um, due to COVID. Um, but you know, we're talking about like a, uh, 5% increase in the consumer price index over the last 12 months, which is just a remarkable amount of inflation. And that hits all of us, right? That hits our wallets, that hits our futures. That's a problem. Yeah. And, you know, we don't get the shit we want. You know, we don't yeah. get the goods that we want, you know, going into, you know, the holidays. Um, and so, like, it's a problem. And it's a pain. And, you know, we should putting pressure on the people that can fix it to fix it but to do that we need to know who those people are and we need to know you know what should be done what's the cause and what's the potential solution what doesn't help is that republicans are just blaming democrats and democratic policies so they're saying you know they're they're blaming the democrats for like quote-unquote later labor shortages specifically pretending that Everyone, you know, in the labor force is either quitting over vaccine mandates or they're too fat and happy on government welfare to want to work. Somehow both of those things are both on the table for Republicans. Yeah. It was funny. I was watching this one clip of Fox News hosts interviewing um, the, uh, you know, a representative from a labor union that services Southwest airlines which recently canceled like thousands and thousands of flights and the fox news host was like oh it's because of it's because they're striking because of the mandate and the the union guy was like nope it's literally internal southwest shit like well, i don't even know why i'm on this show i'm representing labor and labor has nothing to do with the shortage and the guy was like still pushing that it was like oh yeah well it's a silent strike isn't it against the mandates it's just fucking bullshit and it's just a talking point and it's actually not relevant really at all here yeah at the same time they're pretending that price is going up is because democrats have put a bunch of spending their their loose wallets have put a bunch of spending in the economy and that's causing prices to go up that's not that's the case that's not how it works <laughs> <laughs> that is not the case and even the money that was infused into the economy was one supplementary and two only a minority of it was done under a, a democratic administration so i'm not totally sure what the big deal is yeah. there um yeah. and of course trump, trump sent out stimulus checks too yeah and they should have it was a good move it's what yeah. enabled our economy to not take a fucking nosedive and um, republicans supported it yeah and, and 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 what that is indicating now is that you know worst case scenario even if this was literally all because of stimulus which it wasn't all that would indicate is that we overshot a little bit right like we gave people too much money that they can go spend on stuff they want Okay. Yeah. Um, and even, they've even attributed it, this might be my favorite, to the left's war on Christmas. Finally, we're getting what we want by stopping all this, you know, wait, stopping wait, all wait, the wait. goods. Wait, hold on, what? <laughs> okay, I didn't read that. What the fuck? Yeah, I, I saw that. Someone brought, brought that up on like one piece of commentary. Like, <laughs> amazing. I feel like if we had that much power, 
We probably wouldn't waste it on a war on Christmas. Yeah, we wouldn't. <laughs> 90% of Americans celebrate Christmas. Like, 70% of Americans are Christian. 90% celebrate Christmas. It is so popular, non-Christians celebrate it. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, is less and, popular uh, oh. than Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God, I... I I, I'm 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 remembering now. Oh yeah, now that we have a Democrat president during Christmas, we're gonna hear a bunch of idiots complaining about the war on Christmas that mm. doesn't fucking exist. Yeah, which um, we've done a segment on. I think it was back in end of 2019. So you can go listen to that. I don't even remember that. Yeah, we talked about it. <laughs> um, but anyways, so I actually had. I actually had a little bit of a different take uh, on on some of these arguments. Mm-hmm. So, uh, looking at some of the at some of the reasons that people are pointing towards, like people not returning to work, some of the complaints that Republicans seem to have are based on factual information, mm-hmm. but I think their interpretation of it is just completely wrong. So, for example, in in August, uh, according to the the Department of Labor, four point three million Americans quit their jobs which was actually the the most since 2000. So as of September, the United States has approximately, and this is according to the Washington Post, approximately 10 million jobs to be filled, but only 8.4 million Americans are actively seeking work. Furthermore, 4.9 million aren't looking for work that, that were before the pandemic. So there's definitely some factual basis mm-hmm. that Republicans have. Like part of the shortage is the fact that there are people that aren't returning to work. Now, there are a few reasons for that. Now, I think that the first reason that should be mentioned, which I, which I think is just the fact that this isn't mentioned is just completely intellectually dishonest on the part of the Republicans, is the fact that COVID is still a thing. Yeah. which means that people don't want to risk their lives. All right. There are a lot of people that are still quarantining at home. Mm-hmm. Now, the other reason, which I'm sure that Republicans would point out, but I feel like they would miss the point when they point this out is the fact that there were a lot of people that during the pandemic, during the bulk of the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, they had unemployment mm-hmm. or they were able to survive on the stimulus check for a little bit. And because of that, they weren't working. And a lot of them didn't want to return to work after that because they realized, wow, I really hated my job. Now, Republicans look at that and say, well, that's just evidence that the government was giving them too much money. Mm-hmm. But I think that a, a person with a functioning brain um, would look at that and say, well, why weren't they being paid enough to warrant yeah wanting to go back to their job yeah i mean why is it that getting unemployment benefits made them rethink what they were doing for money to begin with Mm -hmm. so basically a lot of workers have realized i don't want to work for poverty wages for these fucking companies Long hours, crappy conditions, 
when I have now gotten a taste of the fact that it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. And what has happened as a result of this is that multiple companies are actually trying to raise their wages. Mm. What? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, apparently Costco raised their wage to like, I think it was like 20 bucks an hour. Yeah. For for starting employees, already, which is insane. Already a leading leading in like wage wages in like the retail space. Recently, and starting in January, Starbucks announced that they would be setting their minimum wage for their company at fifteen dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> and that's a, how is that good not a good things. thing? Yeah, those, those are, are good things. Those are really good things. Yeah. Right? I, yeah, totally. And uh, Costco, it's actually uh, 17 bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. 17 bucks an hour. But those are good things. Yeah. All right? Now, one of the things that other people are pointing out is that just raising wages is, is good, but it's also not enough. Mm-hmm. Another thing that needs to happen is that these jobs that need to be filled need to be competitive in other ways, which means better benefits and also a better working environment, yeah. better working conditions. Yeah. You know, some some Republicans are saying, well, X company raised their wage and people are still not hiring. Okay, what did they do about their conditions? Mm-hmm. Oh, they didn't do anything about their conditions? Then why would people work for them? Yeah. And what's funny is that this used to be the point that Republicans would make against raising minimum wage. The points that they used to make was that we don't need to raise our minimum wage. We don't need to raise wages. Because if you are working at a job in which you are not being paid what you believe that you are worth, then you can just quit and find another job because this is capitalism. Yep. That's how competition Freedom, works. Baby. Now that that's actually happening, now that it's actually happening where where people are realizing, hey, if we refuse to work, then our labor becomes competitive and these companies need to compete in order to appeal to us. We actually have power now. Once people realize that, Republicans completely flipped and just started calling them lazy. Mm-hmm. So the point you should take from this, there's a few points you should take from this. The first point is the fact that Republicans, at least elected Republicans, just want you to work for less. Yeah. All right. They just want you to work for less. All right. The other thing that you should take from this is that this is actually a good example of capitalism working the way that they pretend it does. Mm -hmm. All right? And you know how it happened? Infusing money into the economy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I would say that... So I would say that this actually is major evidence for why a universal basic income would be completely revolutionary. Mm -hmm. Because... A universal basic income would mean that companies really have to compete to be appealing to employees. Because the thing is, I, I, I'm, I'm not a socialist. I'm not a communist. I am still a, a, a social democrat, which is, means I still do believe in capitalism. All right? And if, if a capitalist society were not just competitive in terms of appealing to consumers, but also competitive in terms of appealing to workers, that 
That sounds like some pretty damn good capitalism to me. Yeah, I totally agree. So, yes, the shortage is bad. All right? Undoubtedly. However, the fact that it's forcing companies to be competitive towards workers for the first time, I'd say is objectively a good thing. Yeah. I think that's right about like the labor shortage in general, which does definitely play a part in the crunch on supply on the supply chains. I'd say like one point that I think the Republicans for the most part have entirely missed is that the labor shortage is not a sufficient explanation for the disruption in our supply lines in our supply chain. Like it's definitely a component, but the fact is that first of all, uh, the problems with our supply chain are global, not just in the United States. Yeah. These are problems that are spanning the globe and they hit, are hitting the United States especially hard yeah. for many, for multiple reasons. Yeah. One thing is this really important to note is that the president has almost no control over this. Congress has almost no control over these particular things, right? Yeah. We're not really talking about tariffs. We're not really talking about like the cost of goods per se. We're talking about the resilience of our supply chains and our supply chain is is the entire flow of economic act and activity and goods that happens from the raw material all the way through production all the way through shipping all the way through distribution into the stores to put products on the shelf for you to buy that's the yeah. supply chain as you might imagine that has tens if not hundreds of participants of like participant legal entities like companies, thousands yeah. if not millions of people. And all of these things have to be coordinated quite well for yeah. it to work, right? Like, um, and so it's not too surprising that the cause, which, you know, most econom economists agree on, is the pandemic. The pandemic caused a significant change in our economy and our society, right? People went from spending normally to a extreme economic contraction, ex ex extreme pullback of spending, right? When people were really worried, they stopped they stopped buying stuff for the most part. They stopped their economic activity. And then and then people went out unable to spend their money, stimulus or otherwise, on experiences, right? Going out to eat going on vacation, they spent their money on goods. So what we saw was an extreme, like an explosion in demand for goods. And the thing is, it's way easier to turn these processes off than it is to turn them back on, back on again. And so when you get, when you get delayed, you know, you can, you can fire all your workers, right? Say you're in a factory, you just fire all your workers, it takes a week or two, you can turn the lights off, and reduce most of your costs to near zero, most of your variable costs. But say you want to start up again. You got to hire those workers back. That takes weeks for the new people. You got to train them up again. That takes a while. You have to like, you know, get your facility up and running. And then you got to get it up and running to uh, to its like full productive output. So, so think about it like this. Say you're a factory 
your weekly demand, right, for goods going out of your factory is like 100 units. This factory in this case represents our whole economy. 100 units a week. Uh, so you shut down for one week. That's it. One week, you don't produce anything. And then the next week, you're immediately not just at full, produ- full productivity. You're at 105% of your productivity, 105 units per week because you hired a bunch more people. Great. So now, all of a sudden, you know, you were down for a week. You still had that demand. So now you've got a backlog in addition to your demand of 100 units, right? You can now produce 105 units a week. So that means that for being shut down for one week, it's going to be nearly two years until that last unit goes to that most delayed customer for one week delay. So not only do these people have to get back up and running, they've then got to get back up and running to like a, a higher level of, of productive output than they had before. So it's not surprising that given just a delay that we would have a situation where like the supply lines are stretched, where we have this like limitation of supply relative to demand. On top of that, um, we, on top of that, we have um, currently a huge uh, limitation relative to demand on containers for shipping. So containers are, you know, the big metal boxes that get put onto ships, sent across the ocean, picked up by trucks or trains, brought to warehouses, warehouses uh, unload those containers, then they put them back into trucks in various orders and distribute them out to stores, right? Those containers are really a, a critical, crucial resource, and they're it's kind of like water in a drought, right? The world has enough water for everybody to have water to drink, but it's not about whether you have it or not. It's about where it is in the world. And so at this point, you know, we've got empty containers that need to get back across the ocean to China and other productive centers. So currently, the Port of LA is shipping nearly three times as many empty containers out as they're shipping full ones out, which is a new record for that port. Um, and, and so, and so, and not only do we have like a limitation of containers and, and they're not, you know, in the right spots, those containers are often right now sitting full on ships. And so Republicans are saying like, this is all labor, right? They're saying there's just no one to unload the containers. And so as a result, you know, on September 1st, we had 40 container ships, um, like waiting to unload at the port of LA, um, which just three weeks later reached 73 container ships. And to put this in perspective, a large container ship can hold around 24,000 containers. Each container is the size of a tractor trailer. That's a fuck ton of goods. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so, and, and so like Republicans are saying, this is all labor. There's actually the problem with the supply chain, right? Is that it's so interconnected that disruptions on anywhere in the chain disrupt both upstream and downstream in the chain, right? And so, like, one of the things that's really hit um, the ability to unload these containers at a port are, are uh, trucking and, and, and our rail capacity, right? So 
Trucking capacity has been a problem for years. When I, when I worked for a retailer four years ago, one of our biggest supply chain risks was that people don't want to be truckers. It's a fucking terrible job. People hate it. You're, you're on the you're road for, by yourself for hours and hours and hours. You're at you know, the beck and call of anybody. You get paid crap wages, no benefits. It's a terrible job. No one wants to do it. And as a result, and, and yet in the United States, it's one of our main methods of transporting goods. And so there has been a trucker shortage for years. And, you know, right now is no exception, exacerbated by the things that Nathan called out. Um, and so literally, you know, there's someone sitting in a crane unloading a ship with nowhere to put the container. Um, at the same time, our rail capacity has been slashed because over the past few years, um, railroads have been cutting their labor forces. Union Pacific, which is one of the largest uh, rail companies in the United States, um, currently has about 31,000 people on their payroll, which is a third smaller than it was in 2015. And this represents a contraction in labor across the rail industry, right? With way higher demand and way less labor to handle all that stuff, um, it's going to result in delays and shortages, right? And so, like, you know, they're trying to hire more people, but it takes a long time to hire, you know, 33% more people <laughs> and train them up and get them proficient and stuff like that. So as a result, at one of Union Pacific's yards, they had a backlog of 8,000 containers over the summer, which is double the amount that they had the year before. At one point, trains were they were trying to enter the yard were backed up for 25 miles. And again, it's not because they can't hire people. It's because they can't hire people fast enough, right? It just takes time to to ramp all this stuff up again. And so their normal cycle for for recycling through a, a chassis, so like a, you know, a, a car is 3.5 days, right? That's their normal cycle. Right now, it's, you know, up to about 17 days. So and and again those because of the interconnected nature of a supply of of supply lines those issues will reverberate throughout the supply chain. If you don't, you know, it's going to reverberate downstream. If you don't have rail to move the goods to the warehouses to get on the shelves, the goods won't be on the shelves. It'll reverberate upstream, right? If you don't have capacity at the rail yards because they're already full. You can't bring more containers in, which means you can't unload ships, which means you can't ship more ships, which means you can't make more goods, which means you can't harvest more raw materials. All this stuff is super interconnected, super complicated. And in the United States, we don't do a very good job of coordinating it, right? It's obviously all private companies. We don't have a lot of data sharing. And so the fact is that when everything is normal, it hums along just fine. People know how to do their jobs. Things are fine. When you introduce a global pandemic that changes spending patterns for millions and millions of people, shit hits the fan. And that shouldn't be a surprise, and it's not on Joe Biden, and it's not on lazy people. So to so pretend it's just a political issue, to pretend it's just a labor issue, is way, way oversimplified and is ultimately Republicans trying to bend the story to, to basically serve their political ends. And now it's time for our favorite segment. 
Asshat of the week. week. So, Nathan, who is our asshat this week? Well, we got a nice returning asshat for this week. Candace Owens. Candace Owens, come on down. Favorites. She's just triumphant return. Yeah, she's she's. She's a wonderful asshat. Yeah, it's not, it's not, you know, it's, it's tough to get on our show more than once, you know? Yeah. We've had all kinds of people, including, you know, including priests come on our show just one time. And you think they would be like really committed to their, to their asshattery, but not, not, not so much as Candace Owens. Not so much as Candace Owens. Uh, I think that, I think that our biggest asshats on this, on this show have been, let's see, Tucker Carlson, Obviously, Jewish Space Lasers Lady, mm-hmm. then Tom Cotton, and then I think it's Candace Owens. I think you're right. Yeah, I think that she's been on here more times than Ben Shapiro. Oh, yeah, I think that's true. I so mean, what did she impressive. do this time? So she got on this show because of some comments she made about Australia. So one thing I would like to point out is that I feel like there are some headlines about this that have been a little bit misleading. Mm. Um, that have kind of buried the lead on this. So I'm going to read some parts of a segment that she did on Australia. So she said, quote, When do we deploy troops to Australia? When do we invade Australia and free and oppressed people who are suffering under a totalitarian regime? When do we spend trillions of dollars to spread democracy in Australia? And when, when she first started this, I was like, oh, God, are, did they... Did they just go full totalitarian? Are they are they rounding people up in the street? Are they like are they killing brown people or or rounding up Jews or killing gay people? Holy shit, what's happening? Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, I better 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 keep reading this. You know, better keep trying to understand this. So she continues. And she says, quote, "When do we deploy?" Of course, I ask that in jest because we all know the real answer. What is happening in Australia is under the guise of a virus. I was like, wait, what? So they're killing people under the guise of a virus? So she's talking about COVID mandates. And I'm awesome. like, and, and, and I would like to be clear. When she was talking about invading Australia, sure. she, she was joking. Yeah. All right. Except, except, except she was except, joking. Because she thought, you know, America's too weak and liberal to do it because it's under the guise of a virus. Yeah. So she continued, and this is the part that got me. She said, quote, um, federal overreach, tyranny, totalitarianism, the kind that gives birth to evil dictatorships and human atrocities. We are watching a replay of the early ambitions of Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Fidel Castro, Hugo Chavez. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, I don't remember <laughs> this being a huge part of their rise to power. Yeah, I maybe I, I skipped I, that must part. Have, I must were have they, missed that part. Were they in yeah, where it was a virus and then it was a vaccine and then bam. You know, Jesus, death camps, Hitler, <laughs> Hitler, Jesus, Stalin. When, when will Republicans stop comparing everything about this vaccine to Hitler and the Nazis? It's like, I don't, I don't get it. Why that one of all the ones? <laughs> yeah. Like, and here's the thing. Where the fuck were you when Donald Trump was saying he wanted to send in troop to quell protests? Oh yeah. You were supporting him. Yeah. You were cheering it on because you're a fucking fascist. Yeah. 
actual fascism. (laughs) You're an actual fascist. That is actual fascism. Saying, hey, you need to get a vaccine because you might hurt other people. Hey, you need to wear a mask. That's not fascism. Mm -hmm. And yes, Australia goes farther than a lot of other countries do. You know what? A lot of other countries should go farther. All right? And you know what else? Australia, you know how many deaths they've had from COVID? Mm. 1,500. Oh my you know God. how many deaths the United States has had? 730,000. Now, of course, you do need to, you know, you do need to take into account the fact that there are different populations, but even when you do, that is a massive difference. That is a yeah. massive, massive difference. All right? So even on a per capita basis, they are kicking our ass. And by the way, I would just like to point out, you know what Hitler was best known for? He was best known for killing people. I think that the United States, with our COVID policies, is much closer to Hitler in terms of the amount of people that have died because of it than fucking Australia. <laughs> that actually reminds me, everybody should go watch John Stewart's new show. Yeah. He does. He does. What's more Hitler? What's more Hitler? <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> it's the best. It's so good. It's so good. So, God, here's the thing about Candace Owens. I... The points that she makes are the stupidest points that I've seen of any right-winger. And I don't say that lightly. Yeah, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of competition. Stupider than Dave Rubin. Stupider than Tucker Carlson. Or at least the points that Tucker Carlson makes. I don't think Tucker Carlson is stupid. Stupider than Sean Hannity. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. I, I believe that the nicest thing that I can say about Candace Owens is that she's a fucking idiot. Because if she wasn't a fucking idiot, that would just mean that she is a completely intellectually dishonest, evil hack. All right. If you were if 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 you were not this stupid, if you were actually smart and you were making points like this, that would just be a a different level of of evil. Yeah. All right. Like if you were if you were making this because you knew it's going to make you a bunch of money and make you popular, or whatever, like you would just be a terrible human being. Yeah. So I believe the nicest thing you can say about her is that she is one of the dumbest people on the right. Yeah. So that she's a complete fucking idiot. The sweetest thing we can do for Candace Owens is say, congratulations on being this week's asshat of the the week. week. All right. So for our third segment, we are talking about ostensibly paid family leave. Um, but I think we're also talking about like income or like, you know, the, the child tax credit and, and basically kind of holistically the way that we as a society, as a government, as an economy support, uh, parents. I think, I think historically mothers because, so, so this kind of got on my radar because, you know, I have a mother um, and <laughs> I got one of those. Yeah, yeah, one has one often, <laughs> most of the time. And and what got me thinking was like actually like the. In some ways, the crisis. That has been kind of bubbling up and 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 the right talks about it a lot as like the breakdown of like family values, like like two income households 
what they fail to realize, I think, is that like it's a really good thing, right? Like it's great to have two incomes in a household, two parents working, contributing economically, living fulfilling, you know, professional lives. Those are great things. But what it's realized made us realize, I think, is the economic value of caring for children. Yeah. Very basically, right? Like all of a sudden we're taking a role that has traditionally fallen on a mother and provides economic value to the world, right? Like we don't as a economy grow without more people. And if you yeah. have more people that are not educated, not well adjusted, not willing to contribute, like that's a problem. Like parenthood is really really economically valuable. And yet, yeah. we as a society have been free riding on that for almost all of history. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to the point that we made earlier about investment versus spending. Yeah. Paid family leave yeah. is an investment because investing in children, I mean, in this case, it has two benefits. Number one, you allow a parent or both parents, if they're, if it's a two parent household to both be income earners, yeah. if they so choose. And number two, it allows for a kid to grow up yeah, <laughs> and be taken care of yeah, and contribute to the economy when they grow up. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's an investment. Yeah. You get something in return for it. Yeah. Totally. But the thing is, often parents don't get anything economically in return for it, right? Like kids contribute actively to a society as they as they age, as they grow up. But parents never see that, almost never see that economic return. They're supposed yeah. to be satisfied with the pleasure of being a parent. And as we've expanded the horizon, Which I'm sure is great. I mean, you I'm know, sure I'm a great. peach. <laughs> yeah, my mother is a very <laughs> lucky lady. Um, but, but of course, like... You know, as we've been trying to like expand people's horizons, like as we've been trying to give our citizenry more opportunities, and that includes roles out in the economy, we've been forced to come face to face with at least the very like even a, a subsidized, you know, economic cost of rearing kids. And at this point, like, you know, like people like work parents full-time parents right without a second job get hit twice right like it's not only the cost or you know the the uh cost of actually like all that work going into raising a kid but that's also work that doesn't end up getting compensated outside so that opportunity cost hits them again and so today like you know we're, we're getting into a situation where unless you are really really well paid right once you have a certain number of kids, it's economically better for you personally, but worse for all of the rest of us if you actually exit the workforce to take care of your kids. So let's, you know, you could have a college graduate, right, who's going to go out there and contribute a bunch to the economy. They have two kids, maybe three kids. And all of a sudden, rather than, you know, have, having someone who specializes in care help take care of the kids while they're out there contributing economically to all of us, um, they're going to drop out of the workforce, uh, not get, you know, the ROI on the cost of their education and take care of their kids instead. 
But if we're like, if we subsidize childcare, right? If we like extend the child tax credit so that people have money coming in to help take care of their kids, if we as a society step in to help um, compensate folks for the economic value that they provide by being parents, we can get, we can really like <clears throat> benefit at both ends. We can enable parents that would have to be full-time parents not working to remain in the economy. And then when and then we can help people want to have kids that will grow up well-educated, well-adjusted, well-cared for, and contribute positively to the economy when they're adults. It's a huge investment. And I think it's something that we owe to parents, honestly. It's amazing to me how we take for granted the incredible work amount of work the incredible job that like parents do it's a tremendous amount of work and you do it for the love of your kids but yeah. the fact that we've all been free riding on it the fact that we've been accepting an economic and social benefit without giving almost anything in return that's not cool yeah i mean republicans are always saying that i mean what is it like robbing John to pay Peter or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> robbing Peter to uh, pay Paul, I think is the... Oh, whatever. <clears throat> Peter to pay Paul. Um, honestly, the fact that we don't do paid family leave is basically that. Mm -hmm. Because the kids that eventually grow up and contribute to the economy, and thus we continue to benefit from their labor, a lot of what got them to the point where they could do that was free labor from the parents. Yeah. So yeah. you're just free riding on that. Mm -hmm. So you're robbing Peter to pay Paul in a sort of indirect type of way. It's not through taxing. It's through, you know, it's, it's through forcing a certain amount of free labor. Yeah. It's through free labor. And this is one of the reasons why the provision about universal pre-K is so important. Mm -hmm. Now, again, it is not paid family leave, yeah. which is complete bullshit yeah but universal preschool is pretty significant yeah because it means that people will actually be able to afford well i mean not not even necessarily afford since it's universal will be able to, to to put their children in preschool which number one is going to be child care but number two it's going to give them a jump start to to elementary yeah. school yeah i mean you know my parents, uh, my parents took me to a Montessori school for, for preschool, and that was a huge benefit. Mm. They could afford to do it, but not everybody can. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think it's that I, is I think it's the yeah, bundle. Sorry, I think to your point, it's the bundle of those things, right? We really cover the bases when it's family leave, child tax credit, subsidized child care and universal pre-K. Pre that combination could do so much to support parents and support kids getting off to a great start to be great economic and social contributors in the future. And now we'll end the show as we usually do on our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is that I have finished it <laughs> like <laughs> this was a very stressful week in terms of grading 
in terms of uh like some some stuff that happened at work that I can't really talk about but was very stressful. And I'm just so glad that it's over. Like and also I, I would like to point out that I, I would also like to give a little shout out to my wife. Cause uh when I when I got home today, um she had made steak for dinner. Uh and it was delicious and it was a wonderful way to end the week. So my my highlight is that I have an amazing wife who um who made a wonderful steak dinner as a way to to end a really difficult week. That is awesome. Yeah. What about you Michael? What's 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 your uh, what's your highlight? My highlight is that tomorrow at 9 p.m. I'm going to be DJing my first show in an actual nightclub in DuPont Circle in DC, which is crazy because I'm a nerd. <laughs> so it's weird that I'm doing that. <laughs> but it's going to be really, really fun. I've been prepping for it all week um, and in way for my whole life. <laughs> so I'm really psyched for that. Nice, dude. I, I really hope you enjoy that. I know you, you've been talking about this with me. Uh, I know how excited you've been about um, about this for a while. I'm, I'm so glad that you finally got like a, a legit gig. Yeah. That's like going to be that's going to be pretty significant. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fucking people. I'm super nervous. <laughs> All right. And with that, thank you so much for listening to The Respectrum. And you'll hear from us again 